Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You're tuning in to the best resource to teach you how to grow your business in an actionable, practical way. Today we're talking marketing, and it's not going to be me talking. I'm actually pulling up my own journal as I take notes from the great Mason Cosby, who's joining us on the show today. Now, Mason is the founder of Scrappy ABM, and he knows that when you're young and when you're small as a business, man, you got to do it scrappy. You got to figure out what you can. And more importantly, the world of marketing can be kind of overwhelming. It can be kind of confusing and it can be very expensive. Mason solves the riddle of how do you do B2B marketing and reach your customers. All that and more is on today's show. Before we dive in, we have an amazing business that's sponsoring today's episode. We're going to be diving into that here in a second. Don't forget, if you've been thinking about advertising on the podcast, you can always reach out Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Or if you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash goodadvice. And lastly, if you love the business, you can check out our business, Good Advice on Google and leave us a five-star review. All that to say, I'm excited to jump into this conversation with Mason. Let's hear our quick sponsor and we'll be right back soon. There's one single piece of advice that I give to business owners who are ready to scale their business drastically. And that's knowing exactly what you need to hand off so that you can continue focusing on what you're an expert in. It amazes me when I talk to business owners who are doing their own bookkeeping and tax prep and worse that they're going through all this paperwork at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, even midnight, slaving away, trying to make sense of all of the numbers for their business. Business owners who are making it happen have already figured out that you can't do it all yourself. That's why I recommend Steve Lay with Equity Business Solutions. Not only is he an expert in bookkeeping and tax prep, but what I love about Steve is that he'll sit down with you and help you make sense of the value of your business beyond just reading a spreadsheet. You'll be able to make better decisions, and more importantly, you're going to save yourself the crucial time you would have spent going through QuickBooks or an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is that keeps us up late at night. So save yourself some time and some money by giving Steve Lay a call at Equity Business Solutions and he'll show you the value beyond your numbers. Go to equitybusinesssolutionsllc.com to find out more. Mason, it's great to have you on the show today. It is such a delight having someone who's in the B2B space, who's, I mean, I'm watching you on LinkedIn, man, you're crushing it right now. Is it fair to... I don't know if I should even call it your new venture because new makes it seem like you're at $0 like grinding away. I mean, you got some clear momentum with your business and the podcast. uh, And it's great to have you on today. Well, first, Blake, thank you for for having me too. You're incredibly kind. And I I would go ahead and probably (laughs) say that I'm I'm very much so in the new venture space. I've been fortunate to have built a very small reputation in the past couple of years. So when I launched... I had a couple of people that were like, yeah, I'd love to work with you. So it had a really solid start. And now it's the fun part of how do I build a sustainable long-term business, which I think will be very relevant for the audience today as well. Yeah. Well, we, we'll be talking about Scrappy ABM, which which by the way, for our listeners, Mason has an amazing podcast you need to check out. Hit pause on this episode and go subscribe to that podcast so you don't lose track of that. 
Mason, I love how you called it like a small, you know, very humble following. 18,000 followers on LinkedIn. There's clear moments like there was something funny. You know, like the feed is so funny. Like you engage with someone one time and then it's like, I feel like LinkedIn wants me to be your stalker because now I'm seeing you like everywhere. But all I was going to say about that, yeah, (laughs) all I was going to say about it was, you know, it's not just like you see some accounts that have tens of thousands of followers, but no engagement. You have a brand that has a high amount of engagement. People not just commenting on your post, but you had something you posted about using emojis in your title. And then I started, I think someone like tagged you and said that they were, you know, their own account was blowing up because they had emojis. And, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but all that to say, like you've clearly built a pretty incredible network on LinkedIn. How long have you been in the business world? Like how how long has yeah. it taken to come to bring this about? surprisingly short if you if you're like really really dig into it i've been active on linkedin for probably three years so like in the grand scheme of things three years is actually not that long you know i i know especially i gave you the context before we started recording like my dad was a small business owner and like to really build his network the way in which he did as as a landscape architect took him like 15 years because like there wasn't the ability to post something on LinkedIn that then gets right. viewed by like a, a few thousand people. So now I've just been really intentional for three years and doing that as I've worked in organizations that were in the marketing and tech space. So yeah, three years here that has really helped me to to get to where I am today. So like when you started getting on LinkedIn, like did you already have like the output, the outcome in mind in terms of like, yeah, I'm gonna put some time on this and this thing is gonna blow up? Or was it more like casual or just like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot? Or yeah, I'll so really let me reframe that. I've been on LinkedIn for four and a half years, but the first year and a half, I didn't get any traction. I was really stupid. <laughs> so I I worked at a financial technology company. And I recognized that a lot of our buyers were on LinkedIn and nobody else in our company was on LinkedIn. So I started to like provide like financial lending advice as the marketing person. Like I had no background in that. So I was, I was literally just like spouting off nonsense of things that I had no context and no business talking about, which is yeah, why I gained. That's mostly the podcast for me. So <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, let's see what we can, what can we talk about today? So same, but like I did that for like a year and then I kind of took a break on LinkedIn. And then when I worked in a boutique marketing agency, uh, that was a HubSpot marketing agency. And we did account-based marketing as one of our services. And it was still to this day, one of the most fun jobs that I've had. My job was to market the agency to marketers. So I marketed marketing to marketers. It was just like such a blast. And my boss came to me and said, Hey, Mason, we really need you to build this account-based marketing program. And I'll explain what account-based marketing is in just a moment. But like, we don't have a ton of tools. So like, we need you to do it with like a HubSpot marketing automation platform and like a free LinkedIn account. And I was like, got it. So like I did that. And what I ended up doing is like, I I framed it up as learning in public. So like I would learn something last week and then I would go tell my network. I was like, I learned this cool new thing and like it worked and like, or I learned this cool new thing and it didn't work. So like, I've just, I think that's honestly why I've had any level of engagement in people like honestly i'll be really blunt you mentioned the emoji post and like to see like other people that have pretty significant accounts change their name to add emojis to their name that same day i was like whoa like that was neat like because a lot of what i talk about is 
things that are kind of behind the scenes. So I don't ever actually know if people listen to the advice that I throw out, but like to see people that day change mm-hmm. their name, I was and like start to tag me in posts. And I was like, whoa, that's like actually people are listening. That's really neat. And yeah, I was like, dude, people really like this dude. Like not in like a, I don't mean that like in a douchey way. No, like, no, it was, I was like, was like guy, people really like this guy. It, it was, was like, do it I was, need to change my name? Like what's going on here? You know? <laughs> well, you're, you're so. kind to say it, but like, really it's been three years of just, I, I experiment with something. I learned something. I share it publicly. I share the wins. I share the fails. Mm-hmm. And I think as a result, people, because I've, I've very publicly also shared many, many failures. <laughs> I think people just have a, a genuine hopeful trust in what I'm saying as legitimate and real and authentic, as opposed to what sometimes happens on social media and the internet, which is like fake posturing. And like, essentially mm-hmm. it's not, no one wants to call it lying, but it's like fake business guru advice that's not actually found in reality. Yeah, I think it's like the fake business advice, and then like the, like I think framing is so important. Like, and we and you know this is such like a cliche thing. Like we talk about like be authentic, but like few people are actually being authentic. And I love the way you frame this in the sense of like, hey, I'm learning this, I'm discovering this myself, and like here's some takeaways. Yeah. As opposed to like we know there's probably people out there who like they learn it like three days ago and then now they're like, Hey, let me tell you about this thing, you know, as if they're the expert. Right. So I think that honesty and transparency can be really refreshing for your tribe. Yes. And like what it also has allowed me to do, I think, especially like, I think one of the things that I have going for me is the concept of a personal brand Mm -hmm. and I have a love hate relationship with it because like a brand is something that should be consistent. Mm-hmm. and like should be tried and true but personal like i change as a person as i learn and grow and discover new things so it's that like weird intersection of personal brand where i should have some level of consistency for the things that i'm known for but i'm also growing and learning new things it's so like i and my online presence mm-hmm. over time should actually change because i'm creating different things based on new things that i'm learning so like for anybody that's trying to get started on anything from LinkedIn or like a personal brand perspective, like my high recommendation is frame it up to yourself as like learning in public. Mm-hmm. It's an online journal and essentially like documentation of your own journey. Because at that point, it's all your own opinion. So nobody can like you are an expert on your own opinion. And at that point, nobody can say like your opinion is wrong unless it's like you're saying your opinion is fact. It's like, this is what I think is happening. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can think that all day. And then two, as you grow and change, like you didn't get so tied into like the one thing that you quote unquote were known for because you're known for your journey versus a specific topic. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's fair. I mean, I think about like the early days of my business, good advice where like, I think I posted like a lot of like inspirational quotes. Cause like, I just started out and I was like, what do I post today? Like, you know, (laughs) and so you're like Googling, like, you know, like a faceless man by like a lake house or something. And it's like, you can do it or whatever it is. So like the content has obviously changed over time, but I think also, you know, for people who engage with you, I mean, they're certainly getting familiar with like your values, like the way you approach business, like your style, even though the content may tweak and change. Like I have to imagine that people are, are, you know, not like in a parasocial way, but like they're getting to know Mason, like the way you come up. I mean, like for me, for example, I have just a very like, actionable. I'm trying not to use like podcast buzzwords now. I'm I'm just very down to earth with my approach to things. And so even though the content may change, like that's kind of the style that I keep bringing to the table for better or worse, I guess. Yes. And it is really like 
the better or worse because like there are other people that's that's what's so funny to me is like and honestly it's a little bit of my own insecurity sometimes like i've coached people just that were like friends on like how to do linkedin and they like really start to blow up i'm like oh they're doing better than me and it's like well that's their style and like their style yeah. works really well for their audience but i like what is better in that context because it's always so funny because like i know people that get like way more likes way more engagement and way more reach than i do that are like i helped learn how to do linkedin mm. but for me like I like to stay consistent. I like to stay authentic. And what I'm also finding is that my content actually converts into actual sales conversations and pipeline. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they get a lot of likes, they get a lot of engagement, but they're not able to convert into pipeline. And like, I've actually, it, it's been really interesting to see the people that have come inbound to Scrappy Abian since I've launched that have way larger followings than I do and are asking me like, how are you converting your audience into actual sales conversations? And I think it's because I very focus on what I do mm -hmm. and like how I help people and the journey that I'm on. It may not be the most interesting journey for everybody because like my company name is literally an acronym. So if you don't know what the acronym means, it's kind of self-selecting out. Right. But if you know the space, then it's of interest. So it's like positioning, it's messaging, it's a whole lot of things that are kind of go into it that as a marketer, I kind of naturally and unintentionally do a little bit of it, but also like the intentionality behind how do I frame myself to an audience? And then how does that framing attract more people or actually attract the right people? And it's really interesting too, because I think about, I mean, you're so right. Like I was talking to a friend of mine, a friend, like a general connection that I've had yeah. conversations with. I mean, he has maybe 50,000 followers on LinkedIn. He doesn't make a penny off it like he was looking for work this last year because he was like dude i don't know like what to do uh, and it's nothing against him I, I just think like sometimes it's really hard to like you have a sales background and so it's probably a lot easier for you to transition the thinking into like the what is the next step like how am i bringing these people through my funnel and then for other people it's like i have the connections but like what do i what do i do and a lot of times they don't even have the product in mind again not in a negative yeah. way but just like yeah what am i what am i selling these people so on the note of like personal journal, just like a random segue, I was thinking about this concept the other day of like, you know, being like open and transparent, but I don't think I'm ever going to be the guy who cries on LinkedIn. Not like I have an issue with crying. I cry. I have, I have a daughter. So like, you know, I definitely cry a lot, but um, I, I do feel like there's this interesting, like, I don't know if I should call it like a limit on like how far you should go, but there's definitely like people who bear all tell all. And th those are like, that's where it gets very personal. Yeah. Which there is a very interesting and delicate balance on that front. So like when I think, and I hate to put it bluntly, but like we're two white guys. So when we <laughs> post on LinkedIn, like the only thing that I've seen of men crying on LinkedIn are like white men CEOs that laid off yeah. people and are yeah, crying. One. Yeah. <laughs> that was so not like, a good look for that one guy. <laughs> that is not a good look. So yeah. I like... That is, if we were to post, to put it bluntly, that's, that's what we'd be associated with. So it's recognizing what the audience is already familiar with. Whereas, like, if somebody else bears a lot more, depending on the context and what's happening in the world, they may feel more comfortable with that. I'm pretty vulnerable on specific things, but they're generally, like, happier personal life things. But, like, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's kind of where I focus. Like, if you go scroll through my feed... I've probably posted a photo of my three month old probably once a week. And like, 
people love what is called hashtag baby spam. And like, I know that there are people that are following me for one of two reasons. They either want really practical, like B2B growth and account-based marketing advice, or they're just waiting for the next photo of my daughter. And like, that's fine. I'm happy to entertain both sides of the aisle, but like, that's the vulnerability that I think makes the most appropriate sense. So are you getting any sleep? Actually, yeah, my daughter is very well sleep trained. Yeah. My wife is incredible. I I love that for you and also hate that for you in this out of like pure jealousy of mm-hmm. <laughs> two kids that took nine months to get them to rest. Now she <laughs> she slept she slept 10 hours at seven weeks and people hate us. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, let's let's talk about your business a bit. Yeah. So for our listeners, Mason and I originally had a conversation and we were talking about your business, and I was like, bro, I have no idea what ABM is. And then I was like, is this like a very niche thing? And then I started Googling it and I was like, no, it's a pretty basic thing that I'm just, you know, super out of the loop on. Let's let's do let's let's start with just a definition of accounts, account-based marketing, and we'll go from there. Yes. So based on your probably immediate Googling of account-based marketing, what you likely ran into is like, oh, it's like targeted ads towards like specific companies. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people start from like an understanding. And the reason that that's the base level understanding is when ABM came on the scene, that was kind of what a, most of these account-based marketing technologies could do. They did targeted advertising towards a list of accounts that are like your best fit potential customers. The layer deeper that I like to help people recognize is it's a it's a dedicated B2B growth strategy that aligns sales and marketing around a set of shared target accounts. So my love-hate relationship with the term ABM is that it's marketing. And in reality, it should actually be like account-based strategy. You've seen the change over for like people that are really deep in the B2B space, like account-based experience and it's ABX. And it's like at the core, what is what are we doing that gets sales and marketing on the, on the same page about who we actually want to work with? And then what's the strategy to go after those people? The challenge is that's also generally associated with an account-based marketing platform. So if you're in the B2B space, you may have heard of like something like a Terminus, a Sixth Sense, a demand base that are very expensive platforms. Uh, the next thing that you're going to buy is like a gifting platform, like a Sendoso, a Postal, an Alice. So very expensive there. And then you're also going to buy what's called a data enrichment platform, which is like essentially a massive database of everybody in the world. So you can go build your target account list using like all this third-party information like is this like 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 basic like information about these businesses like if you're trying to find okay it's like like mobile cell phone numbers of everyone at a company like it's it's like yeah okay it's very specific personal contact information so like for example there's a company called zoom info that last i checked had a third of the world's contact information like a third of the entire yeah. globe <laughs> from a database perspective. And it's, it's like, I could tell you the day at my last job before I launched Scrappy ABM, like when my cell phone number got updated in Zoom Info because I got 72 cold calls that day. And I was like, awesome. Like, it was like, it was actually July 22nd of this year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so this is the day that Zoom Info updated. So like all those technologies together cost about $200,000 a year to like mm. get. So that's why most people don't actually look to do ABM. My company yeah, is called but... Scrappy ABM because I think you can do it for like 200 bucks a month versus $200,000 a year. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that most of our listeners probably aren't spending 200k a month on 
Well, two hundred k a year. Two hundred k a year. Still, okay. Okay. Still. That's actually maybe some of our listeners maybe, but so help me help me understand this a level further. And I'm just gonna, yeah. you know, it's the whole Michael Scott. Like you've explained it. And it's like okay, now explain it to me. Like three years old. So like let's let's take a local example. There's a local company called Harvest Group that basically what they do is they help businesses. They're basically like an intermediary to help businesses get their products on a Walmart shelf. And that's their sweet spot is like, hey, you want to sell something at Walmart? We'll basically help you do it. And we'll manage that whole relationship. So like from an ABM perspective, would this be like, okay, let's find certain companies that are within a certain industry that have like a certain percentage of the market share or like revenue numbers or what have you. And then like a targeted campaign to like those 15 companies or like, am I understanding it correctly? Or is this still off? No, that's it. Okay. Like that's it. Exactly. The, but where it gets complicated is like the recognition of, okay, if that's the example we're going to run with, I have to find companies that are not currently at Walmart period. Right. So like right. that's a filtering criteria. I then have to find specific companies that could, if they were able to get in Walmart could meet the demands from a delivery perspective. It's so like they need a certain revenue amount. They may need specific local, let's say it's like a, a toy, like they may need local abilities for distribution to actually get in all these different stores and like they actually provide the level that Walmart requires. So like on top of not just are they in Walmart, are they not? There's then a, a bucket of additional filtering criteria to even identify who those accounts are. And once we've identified those people, okay, within that organization, who are the right people that we need to be talking to? It's probably some level of fulfillment. We probably need to get some level of executive buy-in. We probably need to get finance involved so that they can sign off on us actually doing some kind of a revenue split or whatever the deal looks like. And in B2B, you're typically looking at like six people being involved for most purchase decisions that are coming typically from like three to four different departments. So it's not always people that are working together every single day. And also they have different priorities. Like in this, again, this example, we'll say fulfillment. They want to get the product likely in as many places as possible. Finance wants to make sure that we're as profitable as possible. The executive leadership wants to make sure that we don't dilute the brand. And like, if we got in Walmart, does that dilute the brand? I don't know that like, that's a concern potentially. And we'll just leave it there. Like those three different departments. It's like one's focused on getting as many products in as many places as possible. One's focused on the best profitability possible. And like Walmart is known for driving down price on people. And also like the dilution of the brand, like does it deteriorate our brand value from an executive perspective? Maybe that's more of a marketing play. I don't know. But all that to say, like, does that dilute if we are in Walmart versus if we're like in a Target? So like with ABM, like you're not just like trying to make the sale, so to speak, like there are levels of complexity to, yeah, this blows my mind. I mean, this is a level of scope that I don't engage with that. I I wouldn't even know where to start with this. So it, it, I mean, I guess I can understand why some of this, some of the tech costs so much. I mean, I guess you would need quite a bit of data to approach this the right way. Potentially. So like the benefit of the world that we now live in is one like there's actually a lot of technology that you can get for free that helps you get some of this information and the starting point so it's they're using what's called a quote-unquote product-led growth motion so if you're familiar with like product-led growth the concept is we'll get somebody in on some level of an account and then they'll use a free tier of the 
of the product. And then eventually they'll get so much value, they'll they'll move up in tier and buy the actual full product. But you can actually live at a free tier for like a really long time with some of these products because <laughs> they're really good. And yeah. like, so just to give an example, there's a tool that's called propensity. So propensity is the ability to build these account lists based on specific filtering criteria. And you can also track what is called intent data. So you can look at like the whole internet and you can actually see on the specific company level or account level, what are they specifically searching for and interested in right now that relates back to my products and services. And they've got like 12,000 intent topics that they're currently tracking. So you can Mm -hmm. track a lot. So you can figure out like distribution partners would be an example of like an intent topic that you could track. So if you can find the right companies and see if they're showing intent that they're interested in this new service, that's an opportunity to reach out. And then you can use a different tool called Apollo. That is a free tool to do what I call contact enrichment. So you pull the list out of propensity, you upload it into Apollo, you get the right email for the right person, and you can email them directly and say, are you interested in distribution partners and help you get into Walmart? You know that they are because you have a third-party right. tool that tells you that they are. Right. Yeah. I can think of I, I, a much lower scale. Like I can think of times where I've messaged or cold call someone already knowing that they want my service and, you know, not in a disingenuous way, but you know, they're like, Oh my gosh, yes. But it, it definitely isn't the level of intentionality or, or I guess using these, these resources that are available would a small business owner typically pursue these kinds of things? Or is this more like, you know, large scale marketing companies? I mean, for a lot of no. our listeners, they are small business owners, maybe managing probably at most, maybe a hundred, 200 people, but otherwise very commonly 15, 20 people. What does that look like for them, for the average small no, business owner? It's a, it's a great question. So like, again, context, dad was a small business owner and he ran a business that ended up grossing top line, like anywhere from four to 5 million on an annual basis. And like he had seven employees. So he had a very high profit business, but like he never ran anything close to this because he was able to get a significant enough lead volume from other areas that he didn't, this wasn't a a viable strategy for him. Mm -hmm. What he did was like geo-targeted specific areas where he knew he could sell. So whenever he had his pipeline go down, he like had Facebook ads that he ran. Mm -hmm. So like, that was what he did. So I think that this could be a viable strategy depending on a couple of things. So like one, very specific niche criteria. So I'll give you a different example. Uh, my father-in-law is the head of school for a local school here in Indianapolis. And there's a company that like sells giant curtains for gymnasiums and schools. Like that's all, that's their entire business is they sell these giant curtains that divide a gymnasium in half specifically for schools. They could probably take an account-based strategy in this context because like their niche and who they serve is so specific. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm never going to buy a curtain for the gymnasium because I don't own a gymnasium. Like there's a lot yeah. of initial criteria well, I'm that comes of, on the front end. I have a customer who he sells passenger side student driver brakes, mm-hmm. people who are doing those and he sells to school districts. Would this be a good approach for him? Yeah. Like again, if you think about it, very clear targeting, a very clear, generally speaking, like I'll give you that example of the passenger side rank. It's probably whoever, I hate to put it bluntly, it's probably like the football coach that's teaching driver's ed. That's mm-hmm. probably going to be involved in the decision. The athletic director that's helping with driver's ed and like 
the school administration. Like, you know, who's going to be involved in that purchase because mm-hmm. it's the same general roles every single time. <laughs> yeah. So go to the school district, figure out how to talk to those people. And that could be through marketing channels. So like we advertise and run ads on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn mm-hmm. or Reddit or Google for these specific things up against a list of the right people that we know we want to see our ads. As an example, it leads them to a dedicated landing page. And I mean, if you've got a HubSpot account, you can actually create landing pages that update with the contacts information based on what you're pulling out of HubSpot. So like you can literally do like, hey, first name right. on a landing page. And like, yeah. it could literally say like, hey, Blake, uh, you may not want to yeah. do that, but like, <laughs> I know where you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can do that. Like, you don't know the exact benefit other than like showing <laughs> off, but like what you could do it is like, hey, company name. So yeah. like, hey, my my father-in-law school is Bethesda Christian School. So like, hey, Bethesda Christian Christian School. Or like, you could even say like, passenger side brakes, keeping Bethesda Christian School staff safe. Mm. Yeah. And like you can personalize that at scale because it's literally pulling in the information and it's based on the person's contact information that we already have because we targeted them. This is so interesting too, because it, it always blows my mind. You know, we talk about like the tech stack, like when we talk about like just the technology that's out there to utilize to grow your business, it's amazing. I think of like the most simplest terms, like using Calendly. I know small business owners who they they schedule everything themselves, they manage their calendar yep. themselves, and they're not necessarily using technology. I know we're also running out of time. By the way, this this went this went back went through much quicker than I realized it would. So I want to appreciate your time as best I can. But for the small business owner who maybe is like doing everything themselves, and they're we'll just say tech averse, they're like I don't know, you just. This stuff sounds pretty cool. Like it sounds pretty exciting, but you know, I don't know if I want to get into it. I don't know if I have the time for it. Any encouragement for that small business owner? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you again, my dad is an example. He used to have a secretary that helped him manage his life. And then he got a smartphone and he didn't fire the secretary, but the secretary moved on. He just didn't replace her because like he was unable to manage everything with a smartphone. He got up and running with some really great like ad campaigns through Facebook that then made sure that he literally always had the appropriate level of pipeline. And like, he could see three months out, Mm -hmm. do I have enough contracts in the works that I'll have work three months from now? Or do I need to press go on this ad campaign that like is a rinse and repeat? Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. Like my whole company is based around the idea that like you should get started with very low expenses from a tech perspective. But like, if you can build these things out, what technology allows you to do is to actually grow your business in such a way that you're no longer the sole person that's dependent in order to make your business function. Like, Mm -hmm. I think every business owner's goal should be to get to a point where they could leave for three months and the business continues to grow without them. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, you have to develop processes and put those processes into templates and put those templates into technology that gives visibility and tracks how things are working so you can then actually step away and things continue to run effectively. Mm -hmm. So I like, I get being tech averse because it's also, and I hate to put it this bluntly, like right now, scrappy ABM is me. Like I've got people behind me that help with the actual execution of the work, but like at the core, I'm scrappy ABM. 
And inevitably there will come an inflection point where like scrappy ABM's brand will be larger than Mason Cosby. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that because I really like being the guy. Yeah. But in order for this to inevitably be a truly successful business, like it can't be me. It has to be bigger than me. So technology helps you and equips you to actually make something bigger than yourself because it can scale beyond what you're capable of doing in 24 hours a day. Yeah. And for those of you who are working, you know, 16 hour days, or I was at a meetup this morning and they called it the half day the 16 hour day is the entrepreneurial half day, I guess, uh, or no, 12 hours, which is actually half. So without yeah. sounding stupid, you know, Hey, this might be an interesting conversation for those people, for people listening who mm-hmm. they're, they're very curious about what you're doing and they want to check out more, especially some of the things you're offering. What's the best route for them to do that? Yes. I mean, speaking of technology that makes life easier. If you go to my website, you can actually book time directly on my calendar. And I'm happy to just chat with you. And my number one goal in all of those calls is to do two things. One, I want to be helpful so that regardless of whether or not we work together, I help you take the next step in your journey towards growing your business. And two, if I am the right fit, we know what that looks like. And if I'm not the right fit, I know who to point you towards. So if you're interested, I'm always happy to hop on a call and have these conversations. And then if you're like, look, I'd really love to just learn more I'll put it really bluntly. I feel like this conversation, we had on a lot of things and we went about an inch deep. And for people that really want to grow their business, sometimes you got to go a mile deep. So my that's what my podcast is all about. Like I, I go very deep on very specific segments of this concept of Scrappy ABM mm-hmm. and walk through all the different playbooks. So if you want to go way deeper on this topic so that you can actually grow your business, go check out the podcast. I'm going to check it out just because I been so curious about this is such an interesting approach to marketing and sales so i'm going to take a listen but mason thank you so much for coming on the podcast today we we got in the weeds a little bit we (laughs) we got we got the crash course from you on some of the high level stuff so i appreciate you making the time to come on today i really do yeah thank you for having me it was a pleasure Hey, for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, what the heck you waiting on? Click the subscribe or follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. Don't forget, if you want to advertise your business on the podcast, we do have those amazing advertising slots at the start of every episode. You can email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com. Or if you want to skip the ads, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash goodadvice as well. Uh, We appreciate those of you who've been supporting the podcast long term. It really does make a difference. All that to say, that's today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.